Good morning. My name is Amy Krell. This morning's scripture reading is from 2 Kings 7, 3 through 8. We're starting a new mini-sermon series entitled Amen. Please follow along with your Bibles or your iPhones or your iPads. Um, or you can use the screens. I'll be reading 2 Kings 7, 3 through 8 from the New English Translation. Now four men with skin disease were sitting at the entrance of the city gate. They said to one another, why are we just sitting here waiting to die? If we go into the city, we'll die of starvation, and if we stay here, we'll die. So come on, let's defect to the Syrian camp. If they spare us, we'll live. If they kill us, well, we're going to die anyway. So they started towards the Syrian camp at dusk. When they reached the edge of the Syrian camp, there was no one there. The Lord had caused the Syrian camp to hear the sound of chariots and horses and large armies. They said to one another, look, the king of Israel has paid the king of Hittites and Egypt to attack us. So they got up and fled at dusk, leaving behind their tents, horses, and donkeys. They left the camp as they ran for their lives. When the men with skin disease reached the edge of the camp, they entered a tent and had a meal. They also took some silver, gold, and clothes and went and hid it all. They went back and entered another tent. They looted it and went and hid what they had taken. This is the word of the Lord. You know, I go away for three weeks, and there's literally no room for me. No time. No room. What is happening here? <laughs> well, my name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here, and I am so glad to see you all. I've been told over and over again that we don't have people coming to church in the summertime, and each Sunday is just shocking to me. Uh, welcome to church, those of you who call this family, those of you who are visiting those of you who label yourself uh, not a Christian, uh, thank you for being here. We have four uh, sermons, four weeks, uh, and then we launch into a longer 10 to 12-week series. And so um, I think I'm basically with a few uh, pinch hitters preaching until Christmas. And I'm, I'm kind of in that get this thing going Mode And today we're going to start this series that I'm going to call Amen. And the basic thing that I hope to uh, accomplish today is to get us thinking what it would be like for us to have a more open disposition towards life and towards God, His purposes, and each other. What would it mean for us to, by default, lean towards yes? as opposed to no, or not now, or not yet. To not be on the defensive, but be open uh, with God. I want to start with this uh, phrase that I've been saying for years. I finally looked it up. Oscar Wilde said this, Seriousness is the only refuge of the shallow. What do you suppose that means? I actually looked up on the internet what people on the internet think this means, and um, a lot of them get it right, but a lot of them get it wrong. Uh, here's what I think it means. Uh, scientists tell us that our brain, as it is now, this three-pound 
thing we have between our ears uh, is about three times bigger than it started out as. It's gotten a lot bigger, and primarily the bulk of that comes from the addition of our prefrontal cortex. That's the front part of our brain. And uh, the easier thing would be for us to live out of the back part of our brain. That's called our brain stem. And our brain stem is where we engage our fight-or-flight mechanism. Our prefrontal cortex is where we make executive decisions, where we have opinions and thoughts and philosophies, and we're able to do things beyond just fight or flight. And so what this uh, phrase, I think, means, seriousness is the only refuge of the shallow, is that if you are somebody that knows how to live beyond the brainstem, so you're not just in survival mode all the time, you're not just trying to get by, you're not just being defensive, but your imagination is open, and your courage is activated, and creativity is released, then you're living out of your frontal cortex, so it allows you to have a broad repertoire of responses to life and situations. You're not always going, oh, I got to live, I got to die, I don't want to die, I got to live. You're not in that, what scientists would call the reptilian mode, just living out of your brainstem. So if you are serious, that means that you are being shallow because you just have two things you're going to do, either fight or flight. But if you're living a fuller life and you have a broad repertoire of responses to life, You have a dynamic way that you engage in life and think and have thoughts and not every situation are you in this serious fight or flight mode that it allows you to live life that's not shallow. It's broader and it's deeper and it's rich in color and dynamism and your emotional world is opened up to you. Susie and I are celebrating, uh, we celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary yesterday, and I was thinking a lot about our marriage this week and how far we've come, and, you know, we sort of, uh, you know the story, I pursued her for four years, and then uh, for 10 years we were sort of at each other, and by that I mean I was at her more, Uh, and then we learned how to love and accept and trust and accept And uh, the last seven years have been so good. It just feels like we've been on our second honeymoon this last uh, seven years. But the key shift that, that happened after the first decade of marriage together was that we stopped having the same conversation. And those of you who are married uh, for a few years, you know uh, maybe what I'm talking about. What it's like to have all the little issues build up and then you have one of those conversations that you have maybe once a month or something where you're sort of going at it and you're picking on each other and you have your you know, bullets all lined up and aimed and ready to fire. And you do it and you have no resolution whatsoever and then you sort of just get tired. You stop having the conversation for about a month and then you have it again and then again. And again, and we did that about once a month for 10 years. And then around the year 10, we just sort of stopped having the same conversation. There's a way that I was in particular really wanting to just fight or flight. 
And then my imagination opened up and I began to see beyond my own needs and beyond my perspective. And I was able to see not just Susie, not just me, but the marriage and our future and God. And all of the colors sort of started uh, coming into focus. And we began to adopt what I would call this attitude of amen. Now this word amen, it means so be it, let it be. So if something happens, you say, instead of fighting it or instead of running from it, you sort of let it, uh, let yourself be immersed in it and you say, so be it. Amen. That's why when we pray, we say amen. It just means, God, this is what I want. This is what I'm asking for, but I'm not God. So amen. Whatever happens, so be it. But this is my request. This is the desire of my heart. It's not saying I don't care, but it's saying that I care more about your will and what you have for us and your perspective is more valuable to me. So this is my agenda, this is my request, but amen, so be it. And I got in there with Susie and Susie, you should be this and you should be that and I want this and you promised this and then it was like, amen, so be it. This is what it is. These are the Lego pieces I've been given. I will build my fort with this. Right? And so that's what I was doing. Not I don't care. But I deeply care more about what God has for us. And it's not just my survival. It's not just about my fantasies coming true. But it's about so many other things. And I want to say yes to that. So we have two points that I hope I will get through very quickly for you today. Okay, clarity and spite. Those are our two points. First, clarity, and second, spite. Verses 3 to 4 says this. They said to one another, why are we just sitting here waiting to die? Now here are these, uh, we think maybe lepers, or some sort of contagious skin disease that they were uh, isolated for. They were not allowed to hang out with the general populace. So here they are outside the city walls, which in this case turned out to be a great thing because the city was under siege, right, by the Syrians. And these guys were outside, and the Syrians were camped around the city, cutting off the supplies and waiting for the inhabitants to give up or die, and here these four men are outside the city, and they're saying this, why are we just sitting here waiting to die? If we go into the city, we'll die of starvation. Remember, because they've run out of supplies. If we stay here, we'll die. So come on, let's defect to the Syrian camp. If they spare us, we'll live. If they kill us, well, we were going to, and here's the key phrase I want to underscore for us, die anyway. We were going to die anyway. This is a key realization that these people came to. That whether they stayed here, whether they went there, or whether they went there, it doesn't matter what they did because they were going to die anyway. That is, they came to a place where they realized that they had absolutely nothing to lose. Yes, this hurts. But it's going to hurt there too. And if both things are going to hurt, let's give ourselves the best shot and take a risk and do the thing that might 
save us. Not the thing that we know is going to kill us. They have this moment of clarity about their situation. And this clarity allows them to become decisive. They were feeling stuck for a long time. Have you ever been in a situation when you've been stuck at for a long time? Where you have the same conversation over and over and over again, or you look back on your life and you see patterns? If it happens once, yes, maybe it's their fault. If it happens twice, that means it's a pattern. And if it's a pattern, that means it's also about you. But are you facing the stuff that's about you? And so these guys come to this place where they say, you know, there's nothing to eat here. We're completely cut off. If we go back inside, they're also cut off. Our only chance of life is to defect to the Syrian camp They might have supplies that they're willing to share with us. They may kill us, but we were going to die anyway. What's better, perfection or progress? You answer that question for yourself. How long does it take to achieve perfection? How many minutes or months or years Seasons do you need to prepare, to gather enough information, and to make sure everything is perfect? Or you make progress. There's movement forward. Passivity, spinning, gathering information, procrastination, feeling sorry for ourselves. What hurts more? This, for 10 years, or this once? Where are you at in your life? What are the repetitive stress in your life? What kind of breakthrough do you need? Why do you find yourself stuck? Repeating conversations, spinning, procrastinating, preparing, 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 feeling sorry for yourself. At some point in our life, the pain, okay, listen to this, the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of risking change. This is deep. you gotta, you got to read this. you got to think about this. You're staying stuck because you're afraid of the unknown. You're afraid of making a change. Your imagination is locked. You can't even think what might be an alternate solution or an option or a step. Because you've been in this for so long, and the sound is what you know. Just constant, repetitive stress. I'll just keep dealing with it. That's, that's, that's home base for me. And at some point, God who loves you will breathe and break into your life and force a change on you that might be utterly unwelcome at first because it's different. It's not what you asked for. It's not what you had planned on. That's not what's in your calendar. 
But then it becomes the doorway to life. It's forcing you to take that step forward. Because the possibility of life is better than the certainty of death. Because the way you are, you know where that road leads. And you know you are going to die. And you know you don't want that, whatever that is. You can't live that way. That life is not the life you want to live or you would choose to live. So why not defect to the Syrian camp? Why not go to the other side? Yeah, you've never been there. Yeah, they might behead you. But but what good was your head anyway? This pattern repeats over and over and over again in my life, in marriage, as I said, in the way I do daddy, in the way that I do church as a pastor. There was a time in my ministry when I cared about what every single person thought. I sat there agonizing about conversations. Oh, I should have said this. I shouldn't have said that. Oh, what does this person think? What did I... What did, paralysis through analysis analyzing everything, gathering information, wondering, thinking, hoping, desiring, trying, striving, pining. Oh, it is so much better, guys, to care more about what God thinks. It is so much freer to attach myself to God than to my own need for survival. My reptilian brain is good. That's the reason I have a brain stem. That's not where I want to spend all my time. I want to unlock my imagination. I want to say yes and open myself up to all the wonderful things that life has for me. I do. But I don't know how to often. We have examples of this. The sinful, quote-unquote sinful woman in the Bible, who came to a point of clarity and began to despise her own shame and scorn her label and other scorn. She crashes the party, pours perfume on Jesus' head and feet, and now she's mentioned wherever the gospel is mentioned, including today by my own lips. We have the tax collector who comes to a point of clarity and says, you know what? Everybody hates me. I'm filled with greed, but today I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to climb the tree. I'm going to give half my wealth away, and I'm going to get saved even if it's the last thing I do. We have Peter, James, and John who reach a point of clarity. They leave behind their nets, and they become the pillars of our faith. We have the blind man who, through fighting social pressure, screams out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he regains his sight. We have Abraham who comes to a point of clarity and leaves everything behind. And the scriptures tell us he went to a place he doesn't know. And now he has become the father of our faith. And we have the father who lost a son. He waits day and night for his lost son. And despite cultural norm and his own pride and feelings of hurt, he sees his son and he girds up his loins and he runs to his son and he gains a son who was dead and lost. Or I think about my father who came to a point of clarity in South Korea and he left everything he knew and brought his family over to this country in 1981 for a better life. 
Or we have Jesus who came to a point of clarity in the garden and he despised the shame of the cross, the scriptures tell us. And he gained his own life and glory and a kingdom and us. I have a friend um, and uh, he's not the smartest person I know. Uh, as they say, not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Really, really doesn't know what he's doing most of the time. But you know what I love and respect about him? He's always moving forward. He started up his own business and extended it onto a web presence. Now he's taking care of his family. He's got himself a couple of kids, and they are doing life. And I think about him all the time. Every time I get stuck and just thinking and I'm filled with fear and my fight or flight mechanism is on uh, overload, I think about my friend. He might listen to this sermon, so I'm not going to say his name. So I ask you again, what's better, perfection or progress? Second, spite. If you don't say yes and amen to life and to the things that God has for you, if you want to stay stuck in your patterns and conversations and issues time and time and time again, I want you to know what you're doing. The alternate thing that you choose by default is the answer no. If you are saying yes, then you're saying no to no. But if you say no to yes, you're saying yes to no. You know? Yes? There's an um, economist from Germany named, somebody else pronounce it for me. There you go. This guy. He's a policy officer for the European Commission, and he's the lead researcher on antisocial behavior, and he specializes in this idea of spite. Okay, here's, here's his definition of spite. You ready? Willing to harm oneself for no real benefit. This is spite whether you label it as spite or not. These four men who are out there starving to death, if they did nothing, they're gaining nothing. And they're only bringing harm to themselves. And this is the clarity that they had. You know, we are going to die anyway. Why should we sit here in our helplessness and spite ourselves? They came to this self-awareness that the life they had been living is spite. Nothing more than pure spite. This guy, uh, Benedict, or Benedict, (laughs) he has lots of examples of spite. Uh, One example was this, and he just, his whole point that he's trying to prove is that we, we just have a tendency to do this, okay? He gave people in this experiment the option of using $1 to take away somebody else's $5. But no, nobody gains anything. All you gain is nothing. You just have to spend a dollar, and if you do, you'll get rid of five of their dollars. 
and like 80% of the people choose it. What did they gain? Nothing. Why did they do that? They like spite. Another example. He said, he, gave, he said to one person, you have $10. You have to divide it amongst yourselves. There's one other person. So there's one other person. You have to decide if you're going to keep all 10 and give them zero or five and five or whatever the division is. If they reject your offer, all of you get nothing. You would think they might do something like $5 and $5. You know what most people do? An average of $8 and $2. And you know what most people do on the other end? They don't accept it. So not only is the first person willing to risk gaining nothing, but the second person says, you know what? $2 for free? I don't want just $2. I'd rather nobody get anything. Why would we rather gain nothing than have $2? Because we love spite. Willing to harm oneself for no real benefit. And I'm telling you, when we are living in survival mode out of our reptilian brain and we're engaged in fight or flight mode and we're living this shallow life of worry and anxiety and repeated conversations, we are doing nothing but spiting ourselves. Jesus asked this of Paul. Paul thought he was living a productive life when he was a premier scholar. He loved Yahweh the God of his fathers, and he started persecuting the churches, making sure they were persecuted, jailed, and murdered. And then Jesus confronts him on the road, and what did Jesus ask Paul? He said, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the goads? You know what goads are? It's a farming tool that you put on animals so that if they kick, it hurts themselves. So it discourages them from kicking. It's like, Paul, why do you harm yourself? That's what Jesus asked Paul. Why do you do this? What do you gain by doing this? You have all of this Old Testament knowledge. Use all of that to exposit the gospel for the world for the first time. Why would you? Live this way. What do you gain by riding from town to town, synagogue to synagogue, persecuting Christians? Why do you kick against the goats? As you conclude here, I want to ask you this question. Because this is the question that I have. Um, I've been gone for three weeks, and uh, it's been a really good time of family vacation and also doing ministry. I was speaking at two different family uh, covenant camps and uh, thinking a lot about the church and what the fall is going to mean for us. And this is the large looming question for me as the lead pastor of this church is we've made a lot of great changes over the last two years. And September 1 will be my two-year anniversary here with you all. And the question is this, will we be able to live into those changes? Or will we default to muscle memory? What's the value of vision and change if it only lasts just a while? It's just a blip on the radar and we don't really make the turn. And one thing I never want to forget about us, at least for the next 10 years, is we are a revitalization project. We had a history And God is calling us to create a new history. 
And we're trying to do that as best as we can. And that involves change. Will, will we be able to say yes as a church to that? Because it's frightening and it's scary. But I bring before you and I invite you to look back, those of you who have been here. Where does that path lead? And is that what you want? And this is what I'm asking for myself. Where are we going? Can we live into this new future? Can we say amen? Can we say so be it? Here's what I realized about my own journey in learning how to say yes to life. I can't move forward if I'm worried about me. If I'm distracted by me, I cannot move forward. And Jesus says, my love frees you not to have to worry about being loved. It allows you not to have to extract love from every situation around you. The situations, the opportunities don't have to be about you because you're not having to survive anymore. I love you. My death frees you from your fear of death. My resurrection gives you life. My ascension gives you the Holy Spirit. I was outcast. I was outside the city gates. I accepted death and I plundered the enemy camp for you. And it's this truth that sets me free and gives me the courage and the strength to say yes and amen. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we had an African-American preacher last week, and I thought he taught us how to say amen. But we say that to you today. Amen. Yes and amen to all that you have for us. God, we've made some exciting changes as a church. Show us in the next season how to live into these changes and become a healthy, vibrant church that is ushering in your kingdom among us. I pray that we may see every church meeting and gathering as a ministry opportunity where we can experience healing and your power at work within us. I pray that many of us would see life change and we would not be stuck in our old ways, but we would grow and move forward and embrace progress. We can be surprised by the grace and serendipity and the power of God that is able to do the things only God can do as we say yes to it. So we give ourselves to you individually and as a church, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.